Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Is at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to today's podcast. Today's podcast is, well, it's is it depressing or is it real? It's called On Death and Dying, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I want to begin with the death of of the United States of America in terms of its entertainment industry. You say it's an old story? Well, no, it's hit a new low. A new low with HBO's Euphoria, which glamorizes drug use, sex of the most degenerate kind amongst teenagers. Even there, the uh, Organization Against Drug Use finally came out and said something against the mafia that runs HBO. And by the way, HBO also gives you the phony Bill Maher, Bill Maher is a psychopathic left-wing fanatic who they're now repositioning as some kind of centrist, even conservative, so that the entire network is not seen as biased in the direction of total degeneracy and left-wing fanaticism killing America. So Dare comes out and says HBO's euphoria glamorizes drug use, sex, and violence. Duh. No kidding. Really. The Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program or D-A-R-E, is calling out HBO's hit show, Euphoria, hit show, for its depiction of drug use, sex, and violence. It's in its second season, and it follows a high school student struggling with addiction amid relationships, friendships, and her home life. Uh, that's really the way it's written, but that's not what it does. The mother is a single mother, a black woman, and the mother tries to keep her child safe from the consequences of hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, and even other high-risk behavior, by the way. So HBO, run by the most sick people on the planet or the sickest people on the planet, there's no word for what these people are. Where are the standards in cable television? Where are the standards? We hear about Joe Rogan made the, said the N-word 15 years ago. All right, no one uses that word. I don't use the word. I never did use the word. How about euphoria? What is that doing to our society today, especially black children? All of you self-righteous phonies out there. It shows high school students using heroin, involved in anonymous sex, in violence, almost killing each other in, in fights. It's the most destructive show I've ever seen in my entire life. Established in the 1980s, the organization DARE advocates for a zero-tolerance policy on drugs. HBO could care less. They're laughing all the way to the bank. Now, ahead of the second season, which I watched a bit of uh, last night, there's an actress named Zendaya. She's made into an executive producer while portraying a degenerate slut drug addict. She moved right to the top of the heap along with Bill Maher. 
pretending to be some kind of sage of the uh, screen. I've never seen anything like it, by the way. It is pornography of the worst kind. They say it's for mature audiences. It's deeply emotional. It deals with subject matter that can be triggering and difficult to watch, said the so-called actress Zendaya on her so-called Instagram account. She added that viewers should only watch if you feel comfortable. What a kind girl. I think she ought to get a Nobel Prize for this. The actress Zendaya said it's raw and honest, and it's a portrait of addiction, anxiety, and the difficulties of navigating life today. There are scenes that are graphic, hard to watch, can be triggering. Please only watch if you feel you can handle it. <laughs> Which degenerate scumbag wrote that for her? Can you believe this? This is from HBO. And this is the organization that puts out the phony conglomerate called Bill Maher, who is known to be nothing. He stands for nothing. And now he's suddenly appealing to fake conservatives who think he's feeding them the kind of crap they want to hear. Forbes, of course, says, does HBO's euphoria really glamorize drug abuse? Of course it does. And so in their article, written on January 29th of this year, I'll read it to you, Danny DiPlacido, senior contributor on the arts, another genius. All we hear about is Spotify's controversy with Joe Rogan. He said the N-word many years ago. But we hear nothing about the degenerates who run the HBO network and what they're doing to this country. To blacks included, by the way. It's unbelievable to me what is permitted on the screen today. It has seductive cinematography. It is glamorous in some ways. It's filmed in a delirious haze of lurid light and sparkling skin. Teenagers, by the way, showing full body postures. Frontals on men. Penises erect. Shootings of naked men with erect penises. This is HBO, the same organization that gives you Bill Maher, the darling of the foolish conservatives now, the ones who like the Fox News types. Now, you probably heard these debates before over violence and sex and film and video games as being responsible for some of the most horrible acts in America and the world. But we're, we're cast off as prudes, Puritans, and such. We know that media and culture influences no question about it. The fact of the matter is, this show, Euphoria, on HBO, as it depicts drug use, rampant sex and whatnot, is being shown as healthful because it has lessons in harm reduction. And it shows the correct treatment of the actress as she overdoses from fentanyl during one particularly memorable scene. Isn't that nice of the degenerate scum at HBO? And, of course, that was argued by someone in Vulture magazine. And this vermin who writes this, Zachary Siegel, in Vulture says, for all the hubbub, every teenager watching Euphoria at least knows that having naloxone around can save a life. What a moron! He said, I had no idea what naloxone even was for during the majority of my time using, using now. That's who's writing for them, Zachary Siegel, a real prize of humanity. So this filth says that's because I had grown up on dare officers and media depictions like the outlandish heroin overdose scene in Pulp Fiction. He says, in contrast, Euphoria seizes the opportunity to educate audiences about the realities of overdose prevention. You know what I'd like to say to this person? 
I wish to God that we had J. Edgar Hoover, and I'd like to see everyone in HBO arrested for the scum that they are and the damage they're doing to this country and our children. The creator of Euphoria is another degenerate named Sam Levinson, and we read that he based elements of the actress's journey on personal experience, and this piece of crap believes that the addiction of fiction should reflect reality. Levinson, the degenerate, says, and I'll use the word degenerate because the word has a meaning, I think it's crucial that film and television portray addiction in an honest way, said Sam Levinson, that we allow for its complexities to play out, that we show the allure of drugs, the relief they can bring, because that's ultimately what makes them so destructive. You know, Levinson, I have other things I like to say, but I can't on this podcast for fear of the HBO mafia. And now I want to go on to something related to this, which is not 100% related to this, but somewhat related to this, as we talk about on death and dying in America today, or in the world today, or in the human condition today. And it's on how liberal Jews and Nazis have struck me. How Harvey Weinstein, Larry David, and Bernie Madoff destroyed the image of the Jewish people. Hear me out before you jump down my throat and call for a boycott of Michael Savage. You could do what the hell you want, because the truth has a way of seeping to the surface. You degenerate leftist, you. I only pray to God that someone like J. Edgar Hoover comes along and puts all of you in prison. You need rehab, not the country. You're killing this nation. You're killing our children. You're killing the world, you degenerate scum, you in Hollywood on HBO. So I want to talk about liberal Jews today. It's not all Jews who run Hollywood, but the current crop of Jews that are prominent are unfortunately typified by Harvey Weinstein, Larry David, and Bernie Madoff. Stop now for a minute. Try to name a prominent person of Jewish faith who is a positive role model in the United States or the world. Can you name one? Where is the Albert Einstein or Jonas Salk of our time? New lows are being hit on a daily basis. It was bad enough that Woody Allen single-handedly debased the image of the Jewish male forever by playing up the Yiddish stereotype of the Schlemiel and made a fortune laughing all the way to the bank before he was brought down by the Me Too movement. Woody Allen created the image of the weak, servile, cowardly Jew. And then we come to the special case of Larry David, again portraying the worst element of the human being. On a recent episode of his series on HBO... You know, that wonderful network of degeneracy. It hit a new low in anti-Semitism by airing this insanity. In this episode, the scene is set at a Jewish funeral for a boy who dies in an accident. The Larry David character fights with the usher over a seat, pushes his way through the mourners to get a better seat, tells a grieving mother to shut up and stop crying, and tops it all off. When an Arab arrives to join the mourners, David starts screaming, gun, gun, he's got a gun. And the entire congregation of Jews tramples each other to run out of the synagogue in fear and terror. Now, what does such so-called comedy serve but to ignite the ugliest stereotypes of Jews? Is there no bottom to what low-grade comedians like Larry David will do to bank billions of dollars? Is this not a stereotype unto itself? All this is doing is stirring up negative images of Jewish people, period. No, there shouldn't be a law to prevent this kind of racism, but there should be some kind of self-constraint 
on the type of lowlifes that create this type of product. In a past generation, focusing on blacks now, blacks were portrayed as servile and foolish in the character known as Stepin Fetchett. In the 1940s, the Stepin Fetchett character was the type who always said, yes, sir, and made white audiences laugh hysterically because he portrayed the black male in the way white audiences wanted to see black males, which was servile and stupid, sort of a Pullman porter. When was the last time you've seen a black character doing that? You would never, ever see a black character putting down blacks, would you? Not only would such a character never be aired by HBO or other cable outlets, but no one in Hollywood would fund such a character. And yet the rush to fund the ugly Jewish stereotype of a Larry David. As far as Harvey Weinstein goes, there were Nazi posters and films portrayed by the propaganda minister Goebbels, which portrayed Jews in the manner of a Harvey Weinstein. Is it hard to believe that a living embodiment of these Nazi posters has appeared in our time? I can only conclude by asking where are the positive Jewish role models? Can you name any? And that is why today we're going to talk about on death and dying, because the media has already died. And the country is following very closely behind. I'm Michael Savage. Maybe you can learn something today before you set off the Twitter storm. Michael Savage, a host like no other. On death and dying, what a really weird topic to talk about on a podcast. How did I get here? Because I'm bored of the news, and I know most people are just wild with anger and angst over the news. They can't do anything about it. They're, they're depressed over it. We can just rage against it, and we can listen to people rage against news stories, and we can't do a damn thing about it. We all feel helpless. So I'm having a production meeting now with Karen and Doug and Ryan about various topics for the podcast. And I said, you know what I really want to do? They said, what do, you, what do you really want to do, Michael? I really want to talk about on death and dying. Well, what a cheerful topic to bring people up out of their depression. So everyone here is younger than me. And the reason I'm obsessed with this topic now is, first of all, I've been obsessed with it since, since I'm about five years old. If anyone's interested in where I'm coming from and what motivates me, Karen, you just said something interesting. If you don't mind telling the whole world what you just said. Which which statement did I make? We were talking about you said that one of the reasons. Oh, yes. That I'm motivated. Yes. You had heart problems in your ancestry. And I know that's a big motivator you had since you were young. And really what you studied, what you dedicated the first half of your life to was so entrenched to that. A thousand percent correct. And you say, well, I failed because I had a heart attack two years ago and then I was very depressed for you thinking I had failed. And I said, wait a minute, you got to 78 without a heart attack because you studied nutrition and herbal medicine and stuff and tried to practice it as best you could. Of course, you got to 78, which is 20 years beyond what you thought you'd get without a heart attack. Okay. But look, folks listening to this podcast, you don't want to hear an old man complain about his heart condition. That's not what this is going to be about. Back in the day, there was a great book that everyone read in college, right, Karen, called On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. 
Now, why was that taught in college, Karen? Why was it popular amongst college students? Can you recall? I think it was just, it's a universal concern everybody has. And I think I've thought about this a lot about how, you know, the turn of 1900s, you know, for all of human history, we were so, death was so present, you know, the infant mortality rates were so much higher. You lived in multi-generational homes. And I know I've even heard you mention that out in California and out West, you don't even see cemeteries. You know, that's such an interesting observation in New York. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing a cemetery, Jewish, Catholic. The crosses were there right off the freeway, off the highways, the, the expressways. You knew. And you say, that's ah, not me. And I am. But you saw cemeteries everywhere in New York, California. You don't even see them. They're buried. Sorry to say it, but the cemeteries are so buried. You don't see them here. Yeah. Yeah. I think for for young people, it's just such a it's become such a taboo topic. It's something that we don't even talk about. We just hush up and it's a universal concern. It's it's part of life. And uh, no matter what age you are, it's something that you think about. The youth culture doesn't want to ever think they're going to age, get old and die. It's eternal life. Correct. Well, unfortunately, society, we we now worship youth. You know, I mean, even. I, you know, I've heard people, I think it was on Dr. Malone, who you had on, who mentioned, we've never asked the youth in our society to make sacrifices for the adults. And now we're asking the youth, our children, two-year-olds, to make sacrifices for their elders. It's unprecedented in human history. Oh, you mean by making them take the vaccine? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, you could see why he was banned in Britain. Uh, so to speak. So just before we go into this, okay, death and dying. So what am I going to add to this topic that no one's ever had before? I don't know yet because we're still developing the idea. We just started it. And the fact is I have not seen a podcast on this out there. I haven't looked for it. Maybe someone could do a quick search, see if are are there any podcasts on death? Uh, Are there any experts on death that we could get? No, we're all experts on death and dying when it comes right down to it. Everyone listening to this podcast is an expert. You've had a grandmother pass away. You've had a a parent pass away, a sibling pass away. You've had a a pet die. We've all had to internalize the feeling of loss and what's waiting for us. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Is Dante's Inferno real? Are we raked over coals if we're a liberal when we go to the next world? Does God take liberals and rake them over hot coals and poke out their fingernails? Is there there a punishment for anything we do in this life? Now, many years ago, I mean, I I have been obsessed with this topic. In fact, I want to refer once to a a 2009 interview that was done, a profile in the great magazine, The New Yorker, the liberal magazine, The New Yorker, which, by the way, I grew up reading. And they had some of the great artists profile in there, some of the great jazz artists, some of the great musicians. Lenny Bruce had been profiled. They were my heroes. Great writers were profiled. So when I had an opportunity to be profiled by The New Yorker, it was a huge honor for me. I didn't care whether the writer was a liberal or not because he didn't skewer me. And we spend days out here. And the, the, it, it does still appear. We should put it up on the website, Ryan, with the little drawing of me i'm very proud of it where they made me look like a hunchback chipmunk in the, the the little caricature of me and the famous new yorker profile but what 
the great author of that article found in talking with me, drinking beer up on the hill and looking down at the bay and talking. He said he's obsessed with death and dying. It's what motivates him. Kalefa Senna, the writer, found that I. I'm driven by that constantly. So here we are talking about on death and dying and we who brought it up, Doug, do not go gentle into that good night. The great poem by Dylan Thomas, 1914 to 1953. I won't bore everyone by reading it. I hate when people read poems and try to make themselves like self sound like a poet. But I'm just going to read a few of the verses because in his voice, it's so much better. And he he wrote it about his father's funeral. I believe it was his requiem for his father is what I believe. Now, who, Doug, you're a musician by training. What is the great? Requiem written by Mozart, wasn't it, for his father? Yeah. Yes, Mozart. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. My father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Dylan Thomas, the greatest poem ever written on the subject for his father. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So what more can we say? We all fear it. We ignore it. I remember being young. And when the thought would come to my mind when I was 15, who knows, teens, I would say, oh, that's a long way from now. I don't have to think about it. Isn't that what kids do when the thought comes, Ryan? Does anyone care? I don't want to draw anyone yeah, out and put you on the spot. What do you it, think? I mean, I. it does seem like it's so far out, but... I actually recently saw like a short story or just kind of a quote or something like that. that kind of put it into perspective and it was about how, you know, if you don't live close to your parents, like I don't live close to my dad, for example, it basically gave a little rundown of, you know, if you see your dad or your parents once or twice a year, Mm. that totals up to about 20 times for the rest of your life. Wow. So that kind of hit me in the sense that, you know, that's that's not many. It could be less than 20. And if you only see someone once or twice a year, especially when it's someone that close to you, like family. So I think that interesting. I saw that recently put into perspective when I was thinking, hell, I might see my dad a handful of times before he's gone. So it made it was a reality check in a way. Saying interesting. Death is because in 20 days over over a period of 10 years, for example. Yeah, is in a, in a traditional time, a father, a son, a mother, a daughter, a grandmother. We'd see each other every day, and we'd see each other 
in those 20 days, 20 day, 20 times at least. Right. And complain about each other 20 times over 20 days. But we'd watch grandmother get old. I had a grandmother live with us in our little apartment in, in the Bronx. She lived in the apartment. There was no old age home. No one had the money and no one would. Anyone who sent their grandmother away like that would have been hated in the community. No one did that. She lived with us. I don't even remember her passing away. I swear to God, I, it's sad to say I don't remember. She lived with us. Then she lived next door in the adjacent apartment with my aunt. I, I don't remember what happened. I, uh, kids don't tune in that deeply into it. Uh, funerals. Another wonderful topic for all of you. If I don't leave you in tears, I'm not doing a good job today. But, you know, I recall the first funeral I went to. My grandmother, may she rest in peace. Um, a blessed memory. My mother's mother. Um, she, she lived in the, only to her 50s. She had one glass eye from diabetes, believe it or not. She had a terribly hard life. She was a young woman who married an older man and had children with him. And then... When he passed away, instead of her inheriting money, his children from the first marriage cut her out of the money. She had nothing. She had to take a job as a house cleaner. I heard she cooked in a hotel while having children. So believe me, I understand how, From you know, she worked hard. She died young. Um, so I remember the funeral. And I would ask my mother, why is it? It looked phony to me as a kid. I remember I was five, six years old. And I saw everyone, you know, with boo crying. And I, it looked fake to me. It didn't look real. It almost looked like they were professional criers in a Chinese funeral. But that was a child looking at it. It didn't look right to me. Why did I think it was all fake, the fake tears? It wasn't fake. They weren't doing it. But anyway, you know, I said to my mother, where did grandma, where does grandma go? And they, they come up with stuff. She's on a long trip. That's what they used to say to kids. And I, Okay, when is she coming back? Do you want a piece of candy, Michael? That that was the answer. They never told you reality in those days. Remember, I'm a product of the 1940s, which is an eternity from from today. So children were lied to all the time. Then when I got older, I said to my mother, Ma, what happens when we die? She says, I don't know, but no one's ever come back to complain. I never asked her again. She always had a great sense of humor. I've told that to someone recently. They said, what a great thing to tell children. It worked for me. And, you know, even when I was growing up and I'd get scared in my 30s, say, well, no one's ever come back to complain. It can't be that bad. That's my mother said that to me. And, you know, when dogs died and I would go to pieces over them, I remember Janet once said, I said, Janet, why the hell is it set up so that dogs die before us and she said think about it this way she said if we died before them there'd be no one to take care of them they'd be abandoned so nature set it up that they die before us that's how it is so we take care i said that makes sense that's a very wise statement so what i'm saying is i think all of us have to internalize this eternal question or questions about death and dying and come up with our own solutions mentally to get up in the morning and brush our teeth, wash our face and go forward in life. Otherwise, we can just give up and say, what's the point? Now, that's depression, isn't it? Isn't that the definition of, of, of clinical depression? Where a person says, what the hell is the point of even living? That's severe depression. That's depressing. 
<laughs> That's depressing to talk about depression. But the whole point of this podcast on death and dying is not to depress people or be a wise guy about it, because the only person who has the only entity that has the last word on this is uh, the big guy in the sky. And we're not talking about Joe Biden, the big guy. We're talking about the big guy in the sky. So how do we how do we deal with it? Does anyone and I don't want to draw you out if you don't want to talk about it. You could say I have nothing to add. Doug, how do you deal with this issue? What do you think? Oh, a lot of ignoring, denial, um, <laughs> hiding behind things. How? Uh, <laughs> well, in, in, in my case. Give me your tricks. Um, what is it, all food? Yeah. I mean, that. <laughs> look at me. Um, <laughs> well, you're a big yeah. guy. Naturally, you're a big guy. But I'm saying when you get when you get into these states, you just eat. Yeah, I mean, that's it's worked for me. I, all my I'm life. not proud of it. I mean, I'm not proud. Chug, of you're not I alone, it, but Listen no, me, I mean, Chuck, you come from a from a Korean Irish background. Yeah, the Irish don't eat traditionally when they get depressed. They drink. They drink. But what do the, so Koreans do the Koreans do when they get when the Koreans get depressed? What do they do? They drink, <laughs> drink and eat. That's that's from both sides of my family. But it's so. universal, Doug. It's a universal phenomenon. My mother, God rest her soul, if she made a meal for the family and relatives, she wasn't happy till everyone, the men almost passed out from the food. Yeah. And I've told the story. The men would be sitting on the couch gagging like this. Oh, and they'd have to open their belts and sit back. They couldn't even close their pants after a meal. Then she knew they were satisfied. So I would joke about this. I said, that's how they killed them young. That Janet, I would say, Janet, that's how they got rid of the men young. They fed them till they got a heart attack and died. So she said it also pacified them. Feeding people and making them eat a lot pacifies people. That's what we do at every funeral. Uh, one of the houses would open up. All the all the Korean ladies would get together and cook for hours. Oh, and then oh, they'd right. have four or five tables just loaded with food. Isn't that Irish too? Like a wake? Um, most of my relatives, when they died on my dad's side, it was just a lot of drinking involved. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting around drinking, telling stories about how awful people are. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very interesting phenomenon how cultures deal with this subject and how they cope with the subject. And how they deal with the deceased. That's a topic for another time. You know, there's all sorts of rituals in every culture. And no one's ever, we haven't talked about, and I won't do it now. It's too, too much of a bummer, even for me. And I'm not wanting to do that to you young people. Uh, do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? I mean, Jesus, who wants to talk about that? Uh, Doug, looks like you're interested in the topic. I'm not sure as far <laughs> as if it's going to matter to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not? I'm gone. Looking, you know, <laughs> you're not going to be looking. You're not going to be looking down from up here, saying, "Hey, careful with that furnace." Yeah, looking down or looking up, depending on the situation. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to a care or you know I'm not going to have a say in the matter. Aren't there books about people who said they've died and seen and come back and and what they've seen? Anyone know anything about that? that they've looked in and there really is another world that they go to a light that they go through and they come back and all that. Yeah. There's, there's different books about people have experiences like, you know, they on the operating table and stuff. And they actually, a lot of people 
say that they see themselves above, like they see their bodies, they're above the room Mm. and they have recollections of things. They're completely sedated and, you know, some heavy, heavy medications. And they're able to remember things that went on that only the doctors would remember. And, uh, Oh my God. Also another guy, maybe you could get him on the podcast, but he was a doctor. I think he wrote a book. He was very skeptical about all this stuff, but started working in a nursing home. And he said, the people would see, they'd start talking to relatives, they'd start talking to different people. And it was almost unanimous. Like you could tell when they were getting close. And they so would, there is another world, there's a next world, or it's just a memory of the other people that is popping up. I'm not sure that. I'm not, no one knows. You know, like I watched an episode of The Sopranos when it first came out a couple of years ago, where Tony goes on a He's almost dying in a hospital. He got shut in the stomach by Uncle June. And he's near death, back and forth. Anyone ever watch The Sopranos? Does anyone know that episode? So he's laying in the, in the hospital with tubes in him. It's life and death. He's got sepsis. And it's like he's so close to going, how oh, they did it. What a piece of art. They show him approaching an old house, and there's music inside, and people, and they're talking. And one of the relatives comes out and says, Come on in, Tony. We've been waiting for you. And he's like going. I mean, artists have dealt with this topic pretty long time from the cave. We don't see a lot of that now. There's very little philosophy and thought in the in popular art today. There's no thought at all. It's bang, bang, boom, boom. Either killing or sex. That's all it is. It's one dimensional. Bang, you're dead. Punch, you're out. Or sex. That's it. There's no thought, there's no depth, there's no philosophy, there's no salvation, there's no saving grace, there's no Michelangelo, there's no Sistine Chapel, there's no requiems, there's nothing. We're all living in this flat world. And that is why we did this podcast today for you today on death and dying by the Michael Savage team, of Karen, Doug, and Ryan. Are there any final words from anyone on this wonderful topic? <laughs> final words. Um, (laughs) 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 on that note i'm fine (laughs) we're good my my only comment is and this might be a little it's a little personal but i you know had a major operation and um when i went i might as well just say you know a, a transplant and when they you know they took me in and, and when you get a transplant it's pretty much you get a phone call and then you show up like mm. you have to get to the i had less than an hour to get to the oh OR. my god so you know you get there and you know it's my my mother and father were there my husband brought me mm. and i even you know i even walked like a half mile from the parking lot but you know you get undressed and they put you in a gown and i remember taking off my wedding ring oh and you're not even you're not even really going through the emotions because you're so sick. You know that you're just it's just a process. You know, let's just do the next thing. Mm. Let's hope I wake up. Mm. And I remember taking off my wedding ring and I'm sitting there. And like I said, you're, you're naked except for this gown that they put you mm. in. And I'm taking the ring off. And I said, and this is what it means in the Bible when it says from dust, she came and dust, she shall return. You know, I'm not, I'm not all the things I put on. I'm not my car. I'm not my house. I'm not mm. the glasses. I, I'm just, I'm from dust. She came and dust. She shall return mm. the wedding ring, the clothing. It's all just ashes. Mm. Wow. 
Well, that's very touching, Karen. And there's nothing that anyone should or could say to that. So, listeners to the Savage Nation, this is a one-off Odd Direction on Death and Dying by Michael and his wonderful team of people. I hope that you, I can't say enjoy this. If you're suicidal, we can give you a suicide uh, watch line phone number, an 800 number at the end of this. If it's depressed you so much that you want to end your life, please don't. And I'm very serious. We did not intend to make anyone unhappy. We intended to talk about a subject that's taboo. That is never talked about anymore. And I think maybe we'll do a little bit more of this in the future right here on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Share it with 10 friends. And as Laughlin used to say, bye-bye. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. There's the uh, caller from uh, Robin Williams' suicide. What is that one? We had a caller call in and say uh, he was going to kill himself, but he was listening to the show, and you... You uh, talked about basically. Come on, I don't remember. You're joking, really? Yeah, I'll have to find it. Uh, Huh? What, Karen? You don't remember that? I don't. Yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. Oh my God, we got to put that in here. Joe in Albuquerque wants to talk about suicide. Welcome to the Savage Nation, Joe. Hi, Michael. Um, I think you should just keep talking about it, and I want to tell you why. I've been uh, contemplating suicide myself for the past couple of months, especially uh, this past week. And um, not that I really cared about Robin Williams or any of that, but uh, when he committed suicide, I said, well, if a guy like that could, why not me? Uh, And um, Hold on. Hold on. This is very important. The amount of attention he is getting posthumously is going to trigger a lot of copycat acts around the country from people who are desperate and lonely and want attention. Am I right about that? Absolutely. And that's what worries me. What worries me is the vermin inside these satellite trucks who will not leave the neighborhood. Anybody who walks by, they try to interview. If an ant goes by, they put a microphone in front of the ant's feelers to see if they can get something on on the air. So what's preventing you from hurting yourself? I hope something... Well, your show yesterday, I'm not going to say prevented me, but it, it did make me think about my kids and my wife. Oh, boy. You mean before I talked about it, you really didn't even think about what it would be like for them? I'm telling you right now, I didn't care. I did, my problems are so overwhelming that it didn't oh, matter. Oh, 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 okay. So now this is important for me. This is important for me. You're saying that your life is so black that you can't see outside the darkness, and you don't, you don't see anything but darkness. Can you isolate for me what your single biggest problem is? Is it financial? It is financial. Okay. Well, believe me, that's not to be dismissed. And other people say, oh, it's only money. Well, try living without it. You know, and I saw a guy like Robin Williams who probably had a lot of money. And uh, I said, well, if that guy, you know, he had reasons. And I mean, my reasons are they're not valid because suicide's not a choice. But your show made me think. And I think uh, that more people need to think, and I agree with you that copycats will be out there. We'll hear about them maybe or maybe not. But it is a dark world when you walk around every day wanting to take your life, you know, and you just got to pick yourself up every day and keep going no matter what, right? Look, listen to me. Here's the thing to remember. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a religious person in any way. 
But the thing for you to remember is this. Just think of your children, because I heard you say that in the, in the midst of the darkness, that's what you thought of. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. How old are they? 16 and 27. Now imagine what their lives would be going forward if their father was found dead with a gunshot to his head. My son would be devastated. I want you to imagine what they would see on the floor as the coroner comes with a body bag. Can you, can you envision that? You, when you said that yesterday, I envisioned that. And then I thought about it. I'm like, my God, it's an ugly scene. And, and it is a... Very much. That's right. And that's what people don't think about. They don't think about what's left behind. And it doesn't really end your pain for one reason. You want to hear the reason? Because you inflicted pain on the next generation and generations after that. Because they all say, oh, grandfather, we had a grandfather who shot himself. Everyone remembers it. It's in the family forever, for two, three generations or more, Joe. Michael, I, I just want to thank you. You know, I mean, it, no, no, it's no, no, a... Forget me. Forget me. I want to go on with you for another minute. Joe, listen to me. It's very important. I didn't help you in any way. We're seeing only the ugliness and inside the ugliness, right? But now let's start looking at the light. There is light outside of that darkness, and I want you to listen to me carefully. Sure, money problems are devastating, and you've probably tried everything, and you can't seem to break out of this box you're in, correct? Correct. Okay. So what is the most pressing financial crisis that's upon you? Are you about to lose your house? My wife worked uh, somewhere for 14 years, lost her job. We had just started a business, so immediately everything is 911, and then her unemployment got canceled uh, last week after six months. So, you know, everything is just, you know, we're behind on everything. And after a while, a man feels like he failed, you know. And well, uh, hold it, hold it. Stop with the man failed. Society failed you. You didn't fail society. No, no. You see, this is the problem. Yes, your, your pride is at stake. And that's very important that you said that, Joe, because you're not going to hurt yourself. I know it right now. You just said a man feels as though he's failed. In other words, you're still a man, aren't you? Of course. Okay, so you haven't been so deracinated as a human being, that you have nothing left. You have a whole soul left. True. In other words, your being is still intact. That hasn't been taken from you, has it? I have my faith in God, yes. Well, okay. So uh, the wise person would say, let's pursue that in another time. I can't do it with you on the air. So hang in there. We'll see what we can do for you. Stay on the line. Give my guys your email address. It's the Savage Nation. And I, I want you to know, understand what just happened with that phone call. This... You helped save a man's life and a family's tragedy. By listening to the show, you have given me, let's say, this show. There must be a reason for this. It must be fate. And maybe the whole fate was to save one man. I don't know. Maybe Joe is somebody. I don't know Joe. But maybe Joe has something waiting to... Maybe the world is waiting for something that Joe will give us uh, months or years from now. I don't know what Joe does for a living. I didn't ask him. We have no idea. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There's a there's a saying in my religion that goes like this. He, he who saves a single life, it is as though he has saved the entire world. And by the way, Karen, if in retrospect you don't want that piece in there of you talking about yourself, we'll take it out. No, I mean, honestly, I'm glad that I have an I remember th saying that to my mother and thinking, you know, I feel like I need some people to hear that. So well, you sure well, Doug, you've had some brushes recently. Oh, yeah. Too many. And as I was wheeled in for the heart thing, I mean, 
I was so high on drugs. I was having a good time. It was like watching a movie. I, I felt the gurney and I was really looking at the lights. They look really nice to me overhead in the corridor. <laughs> I felt nothing. Fentanyl's a wonderful drug. So <laughs> all I know is the lights look nice. I was feeling no pain and I was praying in, in English and Hebrew. And I think I mentioned this. And it was Baruch HaTod. No, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim Adonai And it's Hero Israel, Lord of God, the Jews are supposed to say that as they're, you know, facing this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohim Adonai Echod. Baruch Shem Kavod. I forget the rest of it. And then I would read the English version in my head. So I did this mumbling all the way down. Come to, and the doctor says to the Janet, well, he's fine. He was just mumbling all the way into the operating room. I said, no, doctor. She didn't. I said, no, I wasn't mumbling. I was praying. And that's anathema to the, to the doctor. Prayer. And uh, that's it. There's a lot more that could be added, and I think we should think about it. I can do it over the weekend. Doug, just throw stuff at me, Karen, Ryan. I think this may turn out to be part one, because if it's popular, we'll do part two. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. All right, well, we have a little fun today talking about a horrible topic. But I think discussing these things is very important, frankly. I think it relieves the pressure in all of us that we don't have to, you know, walk around like we're the only ones feeling this. I think, and I think like you were saying, like about the news. I mean, if you look at all the stats, I mean, you know, I look at the news on the Drudge Report when I post for you, but... I'm going to be honest after, I mean, I worked in news. I looked at news stories all day. And when I had my transplant and I came out of that world, I mean, I started watching the news a lot because of COVID. We all started, but after a while, I just thought life is what's going on right here, you know, and life is not all of this chaos. Mm. And I think people are just feeling so frustrated. Like you were talking to, I I really enjoyed the interview with Josh Klein because he was interviewing you, (laughs) Mm. but he wanted sage advice from you. And I thought it was so funny when you're like, I don't, and you mentioned that people, (laughs) what do we as average people do? And we are seeing our, like you said, I thought you made such a good point when you said the average person, we've lost our government. We've lost our voice. We can't do anything. And I think the average person feels so frustrated that they're, they're reducing themselves from the news. They're pulling back from the news and pulling, pushing more into what's in front of their family or I think so. arts or, you know what I mean? Like DIY stuff, whatever, because you can't control what's going on out there. I agree. And it's just, it's maddening by the day. Well, like you said, we, we've lost our government. We've lost any the participatory government is over the age of write your congressperson. That yeah. kind of doesn't work too much, especially when they're all corrupted. So yeah, I'll write to Nancy Pelosi and say, dear Congresswoman Pelosi, please stop bringing illegal aliens into the country. You know, that'll go far. So we do turn back to the basics. That's why cooking is important. Cooking shows, eating, whatever it may be, television watching. You know, sometimes when I'm doing, I get obsessed with the show, with the podcast, with with Twitter, with YouTube. And I say, wait a minute, stop, stop. And I shut the computer and I just go out, take a bike ride and smell the air, feel the cool air on my face. And, And that's what we have to remember. 
We can get so sucked into social media. That's why these kids are dying from it. You talk about committing suicide. These kids, if they're shamed on Twitter or TikTok, some of them. Not are even kids anymore. What was that? Uh, Miss America contestant. She was they 30. said she was over the hill. She was 30 something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. Well, I when I see people who hate me on Twitter and Facebook, I get mad. And then I say, what are you doing? Why are you responding to these morons who mean nothing? They're doing it just to be hateful. Yeah. And yet it does suck you in because you start to think it's a community. There's no community. It's sick people. I I learned at at a very, very young age not to give one damn about what anybody says or does. Yeah. Why? To me, because you were different. Be- me. Because you were different looking. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Bottom line point: when I went to elementary school, it was they bust me across the town to meet racial quotas. Each school had to have certain racial. So quotas. where did you get sent to? A white school or to a? No, I went to a mostly African American school. Because you were partly Asian minority, you're Asian, or you look Asian. People see you as an Asian guy. Well, it's it, it's well, they couldn't have picked it, the worst. It depends. But duh, I'm sorry, they couldn't have picked the worst place to send you, given that there's a high degree of anti-Asian hatred in that particular community. Everyone knows that right now. Huh. Uh, to to be completely honest, there's a high percent of a percentage of anti-Asian hatred. Damn near everybody. <laughs> you get it. I, I get it. Well, you, I get you it live around everybody. you live around white crackers up there. Yes, I do. And they they're, <laughs> they're very vicious towards Asians. Isn't that true? I mean, you've gotten punched yeah. out of nowhere from behind. Yeah, you were walking in a supermarket. You told me a few years ago, and I, what happened? Oh, I, I was minding my own business. I wasn't even talking to anybody. Just shopping, and uh, some older gentleman at the time. <laughs> um, just came up and hit me in the back of the head, knocked me down and just started yelling, you know, how, how my people, you know, killed his dad and ruined oh, his my life God. and all that. You became Hirohito. Yeah. Except I, I, I believe he was talking about Vietnamese people. So, oh. I mean, that's completely, oh, you know, my God. <laughs> gosh, I, I didn't ask. <laughs> Did you have to get into a scuffle with him? Wasn't much of a scuffle, but yes. <laughs> what happened? I showed him in no, you know, small way not to ever do that again. <laughs> Doug, you were a martial artist in your early years. What form of martial arts did you practice? Hapkido. Which? Hapkido. Hapkido. It's uh. <sighs> Kind of like uh, Taekwondo, Judo, and Karate. Mm. With a lot of stick fighting. Stick fighting? Yeah, I really like weapons. So <laughs> it seemed like a natural mix for me. I'm carrying a cane now with a, with a steel tip and a steel handle. <laughs> but the problem with people who don't know how to use it is that anyone could take it from you and break your, your head open with it unless you know how to use it. That's the problem yeah. with weapons. People who don't know how to use a weapon should never carry one, whether it's a gun or a stick. Isn't that right? I, I've, I have multiple, um, multiple canes for my my mood. I've got a, you know, every like everybody has a sword cane. I've got a, well, like this one. For people who can see it. The hook, the hook cane. 
It's a hook with a little sharpened edge. Oh, it looks like a swan's beak. It's a a type of, I want to say carbon plastic, but it makes me sound like an idiot. Um, It's strong enough to go through concrete. But it's light. It's you probably know, this is going to be on YouTube. I hope you're not giving away too many <laughs> secrets here. We're oh, probably, there are no secrets. Uh, uh, two weeks after this is a podcast, we're putting it on YouTube. So be careful what you show. <laughs> are sword canes legal in Oregon? Sure. <laughs> no, they're not. You don't have one. I get it. <laughs> to, to my knowledge, yes, they well, are. Um, ignorance of the law is no excuse. <laughs> you're guilty. I remember a judge said that to one of my friends. We were 16 years old and he got some kind of ticket. And I thought I was a you know, I was the smart one in the crowd. So I said, let me go before the judge for you, Bob, Bobby. I said, I'll handle it. So I was so frightened. I was 16, 17. I went up to the judge. I said, judge, please let me speak for my friend. And I gave some BS excuse of why he went through the red light. And the judge said, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Guilty. Fifty dollars. Get the hell out of my courtroom. (laughs) I understood that quite well. That was justice in those days. It was clear. No one, no one messed with the law. We knew what it was. Uh, any way last, I look at it, I can't. Any, la- any last thoughts, guys, for the last, last thoughts? This is called the post discussion. They, they, wait, this is the after party podcast. <laughs> or the after podcast podcast on death and dying. Michael Savage signing hey. off. See you another time, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.